It's another Salt City Hoops podcast for you. Welcome in. Uh, I'm Dan Clayton. Ken Clayton joins me from across the land uh, to talk about the Utah Jazz, who have been struggling a little lately, uh, one and four in their last five games. And since Ken, it kind of seems like, especially early in the season, whenever we got together to talk about the Jazz uh, putting together a hot streak, we would do one of these podcasts, talk about how good they looked. They would start losing. If we did one about what's wrong with the Jazz, why are they losing, we would do one of these, and then they would start winning. So here we go with nine games left, hoping that a podcast about the one and four in their last five Jazz uh, maybe gets things turned around for Utah, who's set to face New Orleans at home tomorrow. Ken, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Nine games left, getting down to crunch time. In fact, if the season were a game, there would be five minutes and 16 seconds left in the game. That's the kind of analysis that you don't get anywhere else. Advanced stats, baby. Other than from my accountant brother. Yeah. Um, and, and and coincidentally, that was exactly the last, that was exactly the moment when the Clippers went up by 18 points in today's game and then lost to the Kings. So, wow. Now, now five this, minutes, 16 seconds. See, I, I made fun of you on the first stat, but now this is actually getting really meta and, and interesting. <laughs> um, if the season were a game, though, I don't know, some, insert metaphor here, there would be some kind of celebration at this part of the game right now because the Jazz accomplished something tonight while they were sitting at home waiting for the Pelicans. In fact, they accomplished it thanks to the Pelicans. Am I right? You are right. I was uh, As we were waiting to get together, I was scrolling down Facebook, and I, I chuckled a bit at the— at the announcement the Jazz made on Facebook, they have the a team photo, everybody locked arms and kind of celebrating after a game and says, and said, we clinched the playoffs. And I thought that was a little amusing because the Jazz didn't do it on their own. I mean, they did it on their own merits the whole season, clearly. But it's not like the Jazz just won a game and got together and sang Kumbaya at center court that they clinched the playoffs. They were all at home getting ready for a game tomorrow when when the New Orleans Nor- ugh, New Orleans Pelicans clinched it for them. Yeah, that's right. They they all got around, got in their team gear, huddled up <laughs> to celebrate because a sub 500 team played another sub 500 team and the one that was playing at home lost by 25 points and that was Denver and because Denver lost, uh the Jazz now cannot be caught by both Denver and Portland. They could get caught by either one mathematically but now officially Utah has seven Western Conference teams that can't catch up to them, and therefore they are officially a playoff team for the first time since 2012. So, you know, that's marginally cool. It would feel cooler if it came in the midst when it felt like the Jazz had been a little bit more assertive in accomplishing that themselves. Uh, but four losses in their in their last five games, including uh, yesterday we're recording this Sunday night, so including Saturday afternoon when the Jazz lost at LA, uh, losing to the Clippers, a team that they're engaged in a direct playoff battle with. Um, LA having some struggles of their own, but um, but let's just talk about that, Ken. I'm curious to know what you think. Are the Jazz after that loss to the Clippers yesterday? Are they headed for the fifth seed, or are they headed for something lower, or can they hang on at four? Well. As I usually answer, that depends. I, I The fourth seed is still very much in play. And uh, the gift that the Clippers gave back today with the, the loss at 
uh, not no, sorry, not at Sacramento. They oh yeah, it was at Sacramento. No, no, no. The, it was a home game. No, it yeah, you're game. right. I'm looking yeah. at the I'm looking at their first game of the season on here. Yeah, you're right. So it was a home game, um, an odd back-to-back afternoon home game schedule, beating the Jazz on day one and losing to the Kings the next day and and losing in spectacular fashion, like we you know like we know 18 down 18 points, scoring three points in the final five minutes 16 seconds. That's that would be an impressive game for a, a good defensive team, meaning their opponent. But it mm-hmm. wasn't a good defensive team. It was the it was the Kings. So, um, props to the Kings and thank you to the Kings. Uh, we know I think we owe them a bigger thank you card than we do the Pelicans because the Jazz would have clinched the playoffs anyway. Uh, but the Kings certainly did them a favor. So I mean I think it's still in play, um, and we'll probably get down to more of the numbers. How many? You know what did the Jazz have to get to? to clinch that fourth spot but it'll be four or five um is my guess i don't think the other two teams memphis and okc are probably going to be in play for those seeds so it's going to be four or five it's going to be meeting the clippers in a seven game series and you know we'll probably have another podcast by that point yeah so don't so don't jump ahead (laughs) unless we keep our current pace in which case it's anybody's guess um well i'm not i'm not that worried about the current pace because yeah one and four is never good news and the Chicago game stands out, but you know there was there was a little bit of hand wringing yesterday, Saturday after the Clippers game, and I know they did not look inspired or ready to play or any of those you know cliches that you want to use. But if your whole strategy for taking the fourth seed was we have to go in and win today's game on the opponent's court in L.A., you had a bad strategy. So losing that game was not the worst thing in the world. Losing the other three games at the tail end, you know, the the three out of the four uh, Midwest swing, um, not the end of the world individually. Obviously, piling up together, not ideal. Yeah. Well, I actually meant our podcasting pace, but since you just launched into that great analysis, yeah, I was was making a self-deprecating joke because that's where I live. Um, Okay. No, but I you, you lived in Brooklyn. Yeah, well, these days I'm not even sure. Right. Um, okay. So yeah, you're right. I mean, Cleveland, Chicago, Indy. Then they they go home and beat New York, and then and then go lose at L.A. And all of those losses are understandable, kind of in isolation or or in a vacuum. I guess the thing that is starting to feel um, like it should worry the Jazz and their fans, from my perspective, is this. Um, I, I don't see a really convincing win but that the Jazz got in a game they needed to have over a team that also needed to have it. You know what I mean? Like, I think, like, people today when the Clippers lost to the Kings were like, you know, oh, you know, this says something about the Jazz that they can't even beat the same team that beat the Kings. And it's just, like, the context of a game matters. And when you have time and motivation to sit there and plan for a team that you know is a a playoff-worthy opponent. And in this case, it's your likely playoff preview and you're battling for home court and you know that that game matters and you've got a day off before the game and you can sit there and scheme and plan and and do walkthroughs and do prep. That's very different from like, oh yeah, and then the Kings come to town. And so that's the thing. Like, I think the Jazz have beat a lot. They, they've won a lot of those games since the break against teams that either just aren't that good or teams that didn't have a lot to play for. But lately, it just seems like whenever it's 
what should be a motivated Jazz team against a motivated Indiana team, for example. Like, you could see Indiana's motivation. You could see Chicago's motivation. Chicago's a worse team than the Jazz, but you could see that Chicago is really in that playoff hunt. They're trying to secure a playoff spot, and they're not sure they're going to. And, uh, and they're trying to kind of prove themselves without Dwayne Wade and, and all those things. And that's what's worrisome to me because that's the context that I think most can be used as sort of a, a lens to see how the Jazz are going to perform in the playoffs when guess what? Everyone's going to be motivated. Everyone's going to have time to prepare for you. So if facing a playoff team in March, the Jazz can't get their stuff together and, and what they can do. Now, in fairness, they beat L.A. back on the 13th. They they beat Houston right before that in Houston. I would argue that that was not a have-to-have-a-game-for-Houston. I think that was a nice-to-have-a-game for Houston, but I think Houston is mathematically pretty well locked into number three. Um yeah. You know, they beat the Kings. They beat the Nets. Um, they just don't have that many really impressive wins against teams that had to have them. And in fact, against teams that had to have them, I think mostly the Jazz are finding teams that are a lot more mentally in the game than they are. And that's worrisome. No, I I agree. I was going to go back to the, the Clippers game on the 13th. Uh, that was, you know... A, a decent quality win, but you're right. They're, they have been lacking that, and these they need to come out with a little more fire in all these games. Obviously, personnel are playing into that, uh, primarily lacking favors, but uh, it's it's certainly something they've got to solve for, or we're all going to cheer and be happy that and sing Kumbaya at center court that they clinch the playoffs, but it's going to be a short stay in the playoffs if they don't uh, figure that out. Right. Like the last one was, by the way, um, and that's the only playoffs that the Gordon Hayward Jazz have ever experienced. So if he goes and has another short trip after having a pretty damn short trip in 2012, um, you know, who knows if that's who knows if that's going to be enough for Hayward to feel like there's some forward momentum as he makes decisions this summer. Um, right. You talked about numbers. And so let's get into it a little bit. Um, I'm just looking at the at the Clippers schedule and um and it's there's not a lot of good news here for jazz fans because the clippers just got um the jazz off their schedule so the only games they have left against non-lottery teams are they have washington and houston at home they have san antonio on the road um against teams that are currently in the bottom 10 of the league la at home Dallas at home, Sacramento at home, and they still have Phoenix on the road. I I think that portion of their schedule is probably 4-0. I think against Washington, Houston, and San Antonio, nothing would shock me from 0-3 to 3-0, but let's assume they lose one of the two home games, and let's assume they lose at San Antonio. Um, you know, that's 31 losses, which means the Jazz would have to finish 7-2. and two to stay in front. Um, I'm not sure I see the Jazz going 7-2. and two. I'm not sure I even see them going 6-3. and three. I, th- I think the Jazz will do no better than 5-4 and four over this closing stretch. Um, and even that depends on kind of which teams are resting players down the stretch because the Jazz do have three games remaining against the number one and the number two seed in the West. I don't, I don't know. Am I... Am I too pessimistic at this point? I kind of, th- I'm kind of resigned after yesterday's game to say it's probably number five for the Jazz. 
Well, again, I don't know that I know right where the Jazz are going to land, but here's what I think. I think the Clippers, I think 50 games will beat the Clippers, meaning I think the Clippers will end up at 49 at the highest. 49 might do it, but I think 50 will do it. And obviously we'll be able to see on the last day of the season if I'm right or not. I think the Clippers finish at 48 or 49. While they do have a soft schedule and you're giving them credit for wins at Phoenix, against the Lakers, against Dallas, and against Sacramento, they've also shown the ability to lose to two of those teams in the last week. I don't think I mean, it's a little bit of a, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. The Jazz have dropped some games they shouldn't have, but so have the Clippers. And I'm not sure that means they're done dropping those games. Uh, could they lose to the Lakers, the Mavs, the Kings, or Phoenix? I think they could. I'm not planning on it, but I think they, I think they probably lose one of those just because I, I don't think they're, you know, I think they're like the Jazz. They're going to drop a game here and there that they shouldn't. Yeah. So I think they finish at, in my opinion, they finish at 48 or 49. So 50 wins it. Jazz have to go six and three to get there. That's going to be a tough challenge because a couple of these teams on their schedule that you you might be tempted to pencil in the win, but you look at how they've been playing recently, you can't pencil it in quite as easily as you once could. So 50 wins it if I'm right, and 49 maybe wins it if the Clippers only hit 48. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And actually. You know, looking at it, so they're they're at forty four wins currently. So if they go five and two, which is basically what I was saying, lose um, lose to either Houston or Washington at home, lose to San Antonio at San Antonio. Um, if if those two things happen, then you're right; they're kind of capped at forty nine. Now you raise another good point, which is that um, you know we treat we treat these games between teams in the Jazz Clippers tier. We treat games against Phoenix, Dallas, you know, Sacramento for sure. We treat those as as pretty sure bets. And the reality is they're not. The reality is that, you know, by nature, by definition, a 50-win team is going to lose two-thirds as often as they win, right? Like a 50-win team loses 40% of the time. They will go out 10 times and they will lose four of them. That even means that in games where they're 80% likely to win— they will lose one in five over, you know, on average and over time, um, teams will lose occasionally to those bad teams. Now, in the Clippers case specifically, you know, you mentioned the at Phoenix game being one that maybe I was a little too quick to give them as a win. You know, I'm looking at that now. That's this Thursday. It's on the second half of a back-to-back. They've got Washington on Wednesday night at home, and then they fly to Phoenix for one of their two remaining road games of the year. So, yeah, I, I mean, I I think you're right. Looking at this, I think probably unless the Clippers sort of find Jesus here in a hurry, I think five and two is is probably as good as they do. They have been struggling. They're essentially a 500 ball club since they got Chris Paul back right after the All Star break. Um, they've lost two of their last three. It just so happens that the that the one team they beat in those three was the Utah Jazz. Um, right. I that's my thing. Is I I don't. I don't think people realize, and I've watched a lot of Clippers lately, um, both because of you know jazz rooting interests and because of some stuff I did for one of the websites I write for. Um, I've watched enough to know that like they're more broken than people think they are. Like yeah. the Clippers are a flawed team. Um, 
and you know they started the year 22 and 8 and they looked as good as anybody and everyone was like oh well you know we've all been wrong about them and this is the year they're going to prove everybody now the the clippers have some issues that you know i think they're still in the process of sorting out and it's not just that stretch that they were without, that they were without cp3 yeah no i i totally agree they've got they've got issues they do have a nice schedule um that'll help them work through some of those issues but yeah whether it's the phoenix game and i will point out that um in his last one game devin booker is averaging 70 (laughs) points a game so you know anything can happen um they lost that game though by the way so i know i know (laughs) so that that one game Um, sample size you know is only so comforting to people rooting against the clippers a little tainted okay a little yeah um so yeah, but could they drop even a, a home game against the Lakers, which is the same as a road game against the Lakers in their case? Uh, you know, you, you just never know. Although Portland's all over the Lakers tonight, so I don't know if the Lakers have packed it in. So it's it'll be it'll be interesting. But I mean, it's still there for the Jazz. The Jazz have to play the, as though they have a chance at the four. And if they end up with the five, four fives often go to the five anyway. So, you know, throw everything out the window. I know it's another sports cliche, but. Losing to them three-one in the regular season, who cares? They, uh, they, they'll still have a chance when they really lock down and and focus on that team for a seven-game series. They'll still have a shot. They haven't been played off the court for the most part, um, even even yesterday when they didn't see, it seemed like they didn't show up. Yeah, and, and by the way, the Clippers still haven't seen a Jazz team at quote unquote full strength, and I say quote unquote because. Who the hell knows if they're going to see that team in the playoffs? We still don't know what's up with favors. Although um, I wrote when that diagnosis came out that I would be shocked to see him again in the regular season. But let's say you can get favors back in time for the, that first round series. I mean, you know, the Clippers, the Jazz have not faced the Clippers with their whole roster one time this season. Um, they were without Hayward and they had favors on a minutes limitation in that first loss. They were without Hood in that second loss. Um, the win they were without i think they were without hill in the win um and then obviously yesterday without favors again um and mac and and shelvin mac in fairness yes um so yeah i mean that's the thing and i i know we didn't plan to go into this and so we don't have to do the whole hog you know should the jazz be wanting to see the clippers or should they wanting to be someone else wanting to see someone else i don't know why people are as afraid of the clippers as as they are people meaning jazz fans i i think that the clippers are a good team i think when you get to the playoffs you're going to face good teams um i hear a lot that oh just it's a bad matchup and i sort of disagree i think every position that the clippers are really good at is a position that the jazz have a counter when they're healthy we just again we haven't seen that where you have a Derek favors to to battle blake griffin and um, now the jazz did some things to combat that yesterday and they worked out in as much as, you know, Blake didn't go off, but they also opened the door to some other people and, and, um, and that caused some angst for some people. So I was curious to ask you, um, I'm sure you've, you've heard Rudy Gobert's comments for those of our listeners who haven't, um, he went off a little bit. I, I mean, I don't know if went off is too strong, Um, because I didn't actually see the comments. I have only read them. Um, But basically said that the Jazz need to be more committed to working hard, to competing was his word. 
Um, he said that there are people who are not worrying about competing, that they are worried about scoring points. And um, he gave a, a specific example of, you know, if we were competing, we would box out DeAndre Jordan and we would be able to get rebounds on key possessions and we'd win games. And that didn't happen. So before we delve into, you know, who that was aimed at or or what play he was talking about, et cetera, I'm just curious to know from your standpoint, do you have any problems with a player in Rudy Gobert's position saying those kinds of things about his team, about his teammates? Oh, no, no. Um, at times, and I'm not saying this about Gobert, it can be done more constructively. You know, we go back, what was it, 20 years when Carl uh, Malone was calling Greg Ostertag a fat ass, and uh, it can be dealt with better or worse. I tend to think that the way what he said at this time was it was after a game in frustration, but still not throwing a single guy under the bus and and really overly criticizing one individual. Um, that individual may already know who he is or may not. Now <laughs> let's hear your thoughts. Well, first of all, I think that it, it's easy to it's easy to criticize a player for going off like that. The other reality is. You know, I've been in these locker rooms and these guys just have reporter after reporter coming to them and asking that, you know, break this down for me and talk to me about this and answer these questions about the flow of the game. And and we we kind of get on them when they give these tired rote answers. And then, you know, whether it's because he lets his guard down or because it's the 20th time someone asked the question tonight or because he just was frustrated and had some things to get off his chest, he has this moment of honesty where instead of, you know, the talking point coming out, this actual analysis of the game appears from, by the way, probably the Jazz's best player over this five-game stretch. Um, So, no, I, I don't have a problem with it at all. And, in fact, in a human context, I totally understand why someone would say, well, yeah, let me tell you, Tim McMahon of ESPN, let me tell you some of the things that have been happening. Um, on top of that, I think he's right. Um, I went and looked, I, I happened to remember when I was watching the game live. Well, not live. Cause I happened to, um, even though this was like probably the single most important jazz regular season game in the last five years, it, I happened to watch it way late. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but when I was watching it, I noticed that there was a play where Deandre didn't get boxed out. He got a put back dunk. And Rudy looked around pretty ticked off at his teammates. And so I went back to that play to see if I could figure out, okay, who messed up there? Because whoever messed up on that play is probably, at least in part, who Rudy's talking about when he says we need to compete more. So I went back. Um, Joe Ingles had Reddick on the play and pretty much stayed glued to Reddick, which I think you have to. And then Reddick actually wound up getting getting the ball on the kick out and shooting. So obviously Joe couldn't be held responsible for boxing a guy out. He's defending the shot 23 feet from the basket. Um, Joe Johnson was for the most part guarding a guy that was one pass away. You can't really help on the ball from one pass away from the ball. When the ball's on the, he was on the perimeter most of the time guarding Um, Gordon I guess you could argue that Gordon was guarding Luke Maamute, um, who was on the, on the strong side wing. Again, you can't come off the strong side wing to help. Um, when Maamute cut to the paint, Gordon Hayward did a pretty good job tracking him. 
you could argue that there was a moment when Gordon should have maybe prioritized DeAndre Jordan over Luke Mahamute, but then we would have complained that he didn't box out his man. So, But the guy who I think Rudy was talking about on that play, and he even kind of gives him a glance when the play goes wrong, <laughs> is George Hill. So George had come down the court. There was a screen for him in transition. So he wound up on Blake. Um, and the way that the Jazz had been sort of containing those, those bad switches on Blake all night is they'd bring Rudy in behind just to sort of shade Blake so that he was there if Blake got through whichever small had been switched onto him. So that happened this time. Blake got Hill. Blake takes Hill to the post, backs him all the way down. Rudy's there to take Blake from Hill, and then Hill just sort of stops. Hill just doesn't go guard anyone. He just is kind of in the paint while Rudy's picking up the guy that he had picked up. And that made me wonder if some of this, we've got guys looking to score instead of looking com- to compete, has to do, long answer, but I wonder if if Rudy's looking at George Hill a little bit there. Well, George Hill's been under, I don't know about fire, but uh, there's been a lot of talk about him. His play in the last 20 games has not been uh, what we had become accustomed to early on. And there was some room for regressing to the mean, but after, you know, after his first 10 or 20 games, but uh, it, it hasn't been pretty lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, defensively for sure. Even offensively, there are some things he's been doing that I, that I don't love. Um, you know, he, he doesn't really use picks to get an advantage anymore. Instead of, instead of wrapping around an on-ball pick, he either dribbles next to the pick forever or he, uh, or he'll go across it, but laterally, which, do, which then his guy can just easily get around the pick and catch up to him by the time he pulls up for a 20 footer. Um, he, he's just not putting pressure on the defense like he was early. Um, to say nothing of that, that thing he does where he tries to draw the, the, the three point foul on the pick that yeah. it feels like he doesn't get that call as often as he gets that call, but he still tries it once a game. Um, yeah, it's it's been an, a rough stretch for George, who looked about as good as anybody in his first 20 or so jazz games, and then, you know, really has just come crashing back down to earth. Yeah, which is interesting, too, given the timing, because it comes right after he, uh, well, we, we don't know how the, how the situation unfolded, but right after he and the jazz did not agree on an extension, and the things we read since then are that he's expecting even more of a payday, whether from the Jazz or somebody else, in the free market this summer, which is a little bit strange. I mean, just on the face of it, even if he doesn't have this collapse, he will be a 31-year-old guy looking for a four-year-old contract. And while he played great for 20 games with the Jazz, does he really belong in the same sentence with a max contract after his name? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. And it, and actually, I'm not sure. I guess what I'm most unsure about is that there was ever really a max market to begin with. Now, I know his his agents wouldn't be telling him there was if they hadn't, you know, asked around, if they hadn't put their feelers out. So I'm sure there's a team somewhere who's saying, oh, yeah, sure, we'd love to have George Hill and we'd back up a Brinks truck for him. But that's probably going to be more like the Brooklyn's of the world um, than the San Antonio's of the world. And, and I, honestly, I'm just not sure it makes sense for a team in San Antonio's position or the Jazz's position to to go anywhere near a $35 million contract. 
Right. And, and, and that was true even before this last month of basketball, this last month of basketball, to your point, since, since the extent, the, the R and E deadline, the renegotiation and extension deadline, um, <clears throat> he did, he had a total clunker in his next game. Um, then came out and sort of redeemed himself with what is without a doubt his best his best offensive outing as a jazz man, 34 points against Brooklyn. But on the whole, in the, uh, let's see, 3, 6, 9, 11 games since, since that deadline passed, he's averaging under 15 points a game. He's averaging 45% from the field, which is not terrible, but not great. He's averaging 33% from three, which again, not bad, not great. Four assists, four rebounds. Basically, he looks right now like a fairly league average starting point guard um, since the March 1st deadline. And I, and I don't know if the deadline has anything to do with it. I'm just looking at those dates because, to your point, narrative-wise, that sort of feels like when the air came out of George Hill a little bit. Right. And the schedule and the quality of opponents got different, but you look at his offensive rating, his defensive rating, it's like a flip-flop when you come into March from compared to the rest of the season and let's not forget too and I've, I've had this comment since the beginning of the season they seem to be kind of some freak accidents but not only is he a 31 year old guy looking for a four-year contract he missed 27 games this year and he's playing poorly in a in another chunk of them yeah so again i i just can't see i mean hopefully hopefully a he works it out. He's going to be a positive going forward for his sake. And hopefully it's for the jazz because he's been a great fit. But I just, I, I question a little bit the idea that um, it's a given that he could have done better than the three years, 88 million that the jazz could have extended him, whether they really offered that much or not. I don't know, but yeah, it, it uh, saying max contract and George Hill. I just think, you know, there's a sucker born every minute, but I just have a hard time imagining somebody will really do that for a George Hill. Yeah, I mean, you know. Well, and if they are, they haven't watched any of his March game tape, except <laughs> maybe the Brooklyn game. Well, I mean, last night he was negative 29, um, yeah. which, again, plus minus. We all know that there's lots of noise in plus minus. And, um, but when you're a team worst, negative 29 in 32 minutes, um, you know, you bear at least some of the responsibility for that. Um especially when you're four of 11 and you didn't get to the free throw line and you had one rebound and one assist and four turnovers. I mean, George Hill was part of the reason why the jazz struggled last night. And when you think about, you know, it was a game that they lost by 13. It, to your point, it was closer than that. It was closer than that in certain moments of the second half, but a 13 point loss and your starting point guard was negative 29. That means the jazz were plus 16 when they had someone else, running things and last night someone else happened to be Howell Neto they didn't they didn't run any no point guard minutes last night so Howell was a plus 16 and granted most of his minutes came against Raymond Felton and most of George Hill's minutes came against all NBA multiple year all-star Chris Paul so I get but not that. this year yeah not this year sure <laughs> um I don't know man I mean the the George Hill question is um, certainly not the biggest question facing the Jazz this offseason because the biggest question facing the Jazz this offseason has to do with the number 20. Um, but it's pretty big. I mean... It's pretty big because it, it may very well be linked to the Hayward discussion. Um, can you say we're moving on from George Hill or maybe George... In, in theory, George Hill 
might not even he might decide that for them. Um, we're moving on from George Hill, but still keep Hayward interested. I, you know, it's it's interesting. Although he did have some interesting comments this week with the uh, the 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 love fest that was the '97 reunion mm-hmm. about uh, uh, respecting players who stayed with the same team their whole careers. Yeah, I saw that. Although he erroneously listed, I think Carl uh, Malone on that list, <laughs> which wasn't quite accurate, but. Yeah, which I, you know, there are a couple different ways to read that, including obviously the worrisome one, the the one that gave some people panicky, um, some panic attacks this week. Um, you could also just read that as Gordon doesn't want to come off as sounding like he's criticizing any players, you know, any of his contemporaries or predecessors who yeah. did the other thing. Um, but it, but it is certainly. There's certainly a way he could have answered that question that would have made jazz fans feel better. Let's put it let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Even when we don't set out to talk about the is favors going is Hayward going to stay question, <laughs> it's come up twice now on this podcast where it was not on our list of things to talk about. That is a well, topic that looms large. It yeah. It's 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 an underlying topic from from the preseason to the end of the playoffs and his day to declare his intention is and we all assume he will opt out is uh, draft day. Um, although I did see a thing and we weren't going to talk about this, so I don't have it in front of me, but there was a thing tweeted this week that actually he could stand to do better, honestly, staying in this contract. If he make for one more year and, and going the next year, if he makes all NBA, I can't remember the math on it, but he actually could, could be get such a much, such a larger contract. If he waits one more year, as an all-NBA player, if he makes the all-NBA team, that it actually would end up being more lucrative for him in the long term. Yeah. But I don't think I don't think he'll do it because in the near... Yeah. That's that's what I generally do when I'm choosing between 16 and 30 million of, uh, of anything. Yeah. With me, it's more $16 or $13. But... <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, it is, it is interesting. The George Hill thing is interesting the way it, it factors in. Um, you know, Tim McMahon and Brian Winhorst and some other guys from ESPN did a podcast on this not long ago, a podcast that was, you know, the first 50% of it or so was very jazz focused, which was kind of an interesting change to hear national guys, you know, really get together to talk Utah jazz. But Tim McMahon, who, if you're not listening and following Tim McMahon people, you should, because his role has changed now to where he's really following the jazz closely and is pretty plugged into the thinking and and to the sources around the jazz. Um, And he kind of posed a hypothetical on that podcast. Um, And, and it was, it was around the Darren Williams thing, but let's just take it out of the context of Darren Williams. His point was basically, is it responsible to pay George Hill 35 million when you could instead pay a pretty decent, NBA quality point guard plus Dante Exum plus Howell Neto, a combination of 10 or 12 million, you know, and I don't, and I don't know what the number is because it depends on who you're talking about. If you're talking about D will, if you're talking about Milos Teodosic, the, the top European point guard, that the jazz have been um, rumored to have interest in I, depending on who you're talking about though. The point is you could get your whole point guard position staffed, pretty well for a fraction of the George Hill cost. And I, and I think that's the question that the jazz will be evaluating over these nine games and then the playoffs. And, um, 
And right now, I, I, I got to say, George Hill isn't really negotiating that strongly with his play. No, absolutely not. Um, all right. Well, I mean, I think we hit our list. Anything else you wanted to talk about? I guess let's end on a let's end on a not necessarily positive note. Let's end on a forward-looking note since we've talked a lot about these past games. Um, the Jazz's week includes the Pelicans at home on national television. Uh, then they're off Tuesday, Wednesday. They're back at it. Can you tell I'm stalling while I look it up? Wednesday they're back <laughs> at it at Sacramento. Friday at home for Washington, and then Sunday. Another afternoon game at San Antonio. Your prediction: four games. <clears throat> well, my heart wants to say three and one, but uh, you know the San Antonio game is going to be a tough win. You and I talked about meeting up at that game and acknowledging all the time that it's a tough one to go to with an expectation of a win. Um, I'd like to. I'd sure like to see him right the ship and win these next three. New Orleans is playing really well, beating a, a Denver team that's playing pretty well by 25 in Denver tonight is the downside. New Orleans is obviously playing some good basketball. That said, they are they will be on a back-to-back because they'll be traveling to Salt Lake uh, probably as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get the Kings. Again, should be able to beat the Kings, right? Well, tell that to the Clippers today. And then uh, Washington clearly isn't a, isn't a gimme. So... Um, Hopefully they can come away with that one. They beat them in DC. Hopefully they can make that. So I'm going three and one. I hope I don't have to settle for two or two and two or anything less than that. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty safe these days to assume that the San Antonio game is is a loss on paper. And you know, one of those feel free to prove me otherwise, Jazz. But you know, until until otherwise proven, I'm putting that down as an L. And I think the other three games, just to our point earlier about you know these are 600 ball clubs. These are teams that lose 40% of their games. I, I think the Jazz will, um, especially the way they're playing right now, I, I just think they'll find a way to lose one of those other three. And I think it'll be a two and two week. And I think the drama with, with the Clippers and that fourth seed race will, will continue into the final two weeks of the season. Um, those games, by the way, take us into early April. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's getting there. It's getting down to it. Yeah. I'll add two more factoids. Oh, I like factoids. Well, I don't know about factoids, but um, I don't think we should have be able to have a jazz-related podcast today without wishing a happy 55th birthday to John Stockton. That's right. A guy who's been there for all but a handful of games of my jazz fandom because I really started following the jazz just the tail end of the season before he joined the team. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was breaking news. Joe, Ing- Joe Ingold has just tweeted an asterisk. I have no idea what that means. Well, we uh, should do another 35 minutes and break that <laughs> down. Um, yeah. We, we didn't mention, by the way, the Gordon Hayward thing, which it sounds like it's not a thing. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The, the Jazz shared last night that there was an MRI done and, and that the MRI was negative, um, but he does have a, a quad contusion. Um, although Quinn Snyder told Tim McMahon that he thinks he's fine. So um, we'll we'll see. I would expect to see Gordon Hayward lace them up tomorrow night, but, you know, obviously that's one to watch as we keep an eye on favors and, and obviously Shelvin Mack as well. Uh, right. You laughed. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to pay the guy's dues. Okay. Um, I, think, I think my laugh also paid them. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Ken, thanks for joining me. And uh, everyone else, thanks for listening in. This has been another Salt City Hoops podcast. <laughs>